Hello and welcome to another episode of Foreign and Domestic Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, Ramon Mile, and folks, we have a Wildcat episode here. Um, I got I got something cooking in the lab that I've just been kind of waiting to pull the trigger on for like the last three days here. I've been on vacation from work and I just haven't had a chance to get, get it down, but I got the whole episode written. It's going to be pretty good. But I wanted to jump on here tonight and go live because uh, a pretty significant vote just passed through Congress. Um, and this is something that I feel like didn't really get a ton of media attention because it got stretched across such a long time period. And, you know, uh, I, I didn't I didn't talk about it too much because it kind of seemed like it was something that was just plodding along. But but what, before I get ahead of myself, what I'm referring to is um, <clears throat> the possible railroad strike, union strike that has just been looming for I believe it's been like six months now. Um, the Senate just, uh, finalized the vote after it passed through the house earlier today. Uh, they're basically moving to force union railroad workers to accept the tentative deal that, uh, Joe Biden had brokered, uh, and put into place. No, I shouldn't say put into place, but he basically asserted his, his executive authority based on like prior, uh, you know, uh, I think I can't remember the, we'll, we'll get into it in the article. They have more of the information, the, the actual details, but um, yeah, super anti-worker move, uh, not great. What just fell, uh, came down the pike here, but it's definitely something I want to get into because, uh, it's actually going to have a lot of relevance to the episode that I am going to probably end up putting out tomorrow. So there's going to be a double tap. Um, but yeah, so let's just, let's hop right into it. And, uh, I got a really good article to bounce off over here to break this down. Um, so here we got from the New York times, uh, just published at six o'clock today by Emily Cochrane. Uh, it starts off with, the Senate on Thursday voted overwhelmingly to impose a labor agreement between rail companies and their workers who have been locked in a stubborn stalemate, moving with uncommon speed to avert a potential holiday season rail strike that would jeopardize shipping across the country. Passage of the measure cleared it to be signed by President Biden, who just days ago made a personal appeal to Congress to act to impose a labor agreement that his administration helped negotiate earlier this year, but that had failed to resolve the dispute. He was expected to sign the bill quickly, racing to stave off any economic fallout that could come from a work stoppage in the coming days. It was the first time since the 1990s that Congress had used its power under the Constitution's Commerce Clause, which allows it to regulate interstate commerce to intervene in a national rail labor dispute to head off a strike. The step was a remarkable one for Mr. Biden, who vowed to be, quote, the most pro-union president you've ever seen. This is absolutely this it can't be no shot. Uh, this is the most anti-union any president's been, I would argue, including Republicans in decades. And we're going to get into that in a little while. Um, like the ramifications for this, the precedent setting, well, I should say reigniting a precedent that was already a disgusting one. And for Joe Biden to do this right now, it's so this is really bad folks. So we'll, we'll get more into it, but just let's dig a little deeper in the article. Um, uh, yeah, so he was <laughs> vowed to be, quote, the most pro-union president you've ever seen, end quote. And for presidents uh, and for Democrats in control of Congress who count on organized labor among their most loyal constituencies. In recent days, Mr. Biden and his allies on Capitol Hill have put aside those considerations in favor of a resolution that they have argued is needed to prevent painful consequences for Americans. He says, quote, I know that many in Congress shared my reluctance to override the, uni the union ratified procedures, Mr. Biden said in a statement after the vote. He continues, quote, but in this case, the consequences of a shutdown were just too great for working families all across the country. So right there, we're going to pause in the article. I want you to remember that last sentence of his quote. President Biden said, in this case, the consequences of a shutdown were just too great for working families all across the country. All right, so let's get into the details here. Why was the union striking? Uh, and mind you, these are several unions, right, folks? Like this is basically an amalgamation of all the unions uh, that do all the rail work, right? So like the guys who do work on the actual, um, you know, the tracks that do the track work, uh, the guys who unload rail cars that, uh, you know, work for for the railroad that do that part of it, um, the the engineers, uh, all the basically anyone who's involved, uh in rail work in America, <clears throat> it's one of those trade unions, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me, several of these unions are attached to different private entities that, you know, for example, uh, there's several owners of mo uh, most of the American rail in this country. And then there's like, you know, a bunch of petty owners too, but there's basically like a, a few big owners that most of these unions deal with. <clears throat> excuse me, but the problem is they're not all unified under one single union banner, right? So if you don't, not like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers or something, right? This is, that's, that's essentially 
one union that would, uh, you know, have an easier time or the AFL-CIO or something like that, right? In this type of scenario where they were basically being forced by the private companies that they were, you know, doing and negotiating contracts with to live under conditions with basically no paid sick leave. Um, the guys were making good money, right? And that's what, as we get deeper into the article and you hear pundits on TV that are going to be talking about this for the next few days to try to run damage control for Joe Biden and the Democrats, because they're the ones who have egg on the face here. Um, and it's actually made worse by some of the Republicans who voted no, but we'll get into that too. But, um, no, uh, the, the main sticking point here is they're, you know, that last quote I wanted you to sit on with Biden there, the consequences of a shutdown were just too great for working families all across the country. Biden, the consequences of these union workers being forced into what is almost like highly paid indentured, serv- indentured servitude, that risk is too great. That risk is too great because it's wildly precedent setting that we now have a Congress um, in the 21st century and a president that are willing to basically force a union to accept a deal collectively that it could not form an agreement with, with private entities, right? So this is something that, you know, anyone who knows anything about labor history, like this is a super touchy subject. This is really, uh, as far as like the balance between labor and private power goes in this country and what the government's role is and regulating that relationship in relation to commerce. So, the reason this is unique is because, um, you know, this article doesn't get into it and I'm not exactly an expert on it, but I've read a ton about this. Um, uh, but I, you know, I don't have the years of the stuff past Congress and everything, but basically what happened is, um, railway strikes used to be extremely common, uh, in, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century America. So Congress passed some laws there's several laws, but, uh, they passed several laws that basically allows them to insert themselves in, you know, to be essentially as the raw law is written, but not in effect, um, to be neutral arbiters, to try to like get a deal passed because it's a national security risk. And I will agree with that. Like the people who were making this like, Oh, this is a huge catastrophe. If the strike happens and there's a work stoppage, that is true. Um, but again, it's all a matter of like, which side are you on here? Whether you view that as a catastrophe for business and admittedly, yeah, for consumers in America and you know, holiday top shopping times, uh, the effects it would have on fuel costs, all kind of stuff like that. But it's also disastrous for like people who actually try to, you know, push and, uh, you know, stump for and uh, support union and labor rights in this country because unions are the vanguard of what labor rights uh, became in America and they're the vanguard of what workers rights can become in America. Okay, so this is a huge step back. Not only is this story terrible for the, uh, the workers themselves and how they're getting a raw deal and what they're basically being forced to accept by Congress, and we'll get into why that's probably not going to be accepted, but. Uh, not only is that the case, but as far as like movement politics goes, this is monumental. It's, you know, it's, it's not good, um, to have something like this echo throughout the history books where you basically have a thunderclap of the hand of the government reaching down on the side of big business, uh, at the expense of workers. So, um, you know, and to get into again, the actual specifics of what was being argued about in this contract, um, I, I believe there was a 24% raise that was initially, this was the tentative agreement that Biden oversaw between union leader heads and the companies. Uh, there was going to be a 24% pay increase across five years. Um, you know, and uh, when you get into the testimony of the actual union members that voted on this, they explicitly said over and over again that, you know, pay isn't really the issue here. Like, sure, of course they want more pay. Because with inflation, basically everybody who got a pay raise, even in the last few years, it's essentially gone now, uh, effectively. But their real concern was they didn't have any paid sick leave because they were on a point system, uh, most of these unions. Not every single one of them, but most of them. And that's also important is that not every one of these unions had the exact same contract with the private entity that they uh, negotiated that contract with, right? Which is a, you know, it's a tactic that basically like, I wouldn't say a tactic, but it's a stratification of the union, uh, the individual unions that make up the railway unions at large in this country, that they're not all under one flag. And then that way they can be sniped off, uh, or in situations like this, where there's pressure to be applied to try to get union heads to agree to, uh, things that their actual voting, uh, the, the union members themselves who vote on the agreements, uh, trying to convince them to, you know, swallow a pill, it's a lot easier to, uh, you know, bifurcate these unions from one another and get them to sort of disagree. Some people accepting the deal, some not. Um, 
at larger numbers now, it's easier to do that when not everybody has the same contract. You know what I mean? Um, but again, I keep digressing. So again, the main issue here was a lot of these guys had zero paid sick days, right? And they were on a point system. Anyone who's worked somewhere like a giant company like Amazon or Walmart knows what that is, which is if you are late or absent a certain amount of times, you're like automatically fired. Like a robot fires you. It doesn't matter how many times your boss saw you come in late, anything like that. Once you get a certain amount of points, you lose your job. Um, and that's important here because these guys don't have paid sick leave. So when you work on a train, uh, as many of these union members, you go back and listen to some of their, you know, their media hits and their testimony about all of this and why they need paid sick leave is you get on that train, right? You could get on a train in New York and ride all the way to California and then back. And that takes about 10 days. Uh, you know, some of these guys are saying, I don't know if that's accurate for that route, but some of these routes, you're gone from home for about 10 days, right? So what you do is you work for like, 20 days, and then you're home for like seven days, right? It's one of those weird jobs where, you know, my last job at SI Group, I would work like four days on, four days off, five days on, five days off. It's one of those where uh, you need a lot of hours out of guys, and it's basically you devise that system within a union so that the company doesn't have to hire a ton of people, and you can get a ton of labor output from a smaller group of people by having them work in huge chunks, and then you rotate them on and off. That's why that system is built that way. It's also actually like as a side benefit, you can burst out and make a lot of money that way when you're in a union. Uh, you know, I personally, I experienced that. You can make a ton of money. I had built an overtime. You work 48 hours, 60 hour a week sometimes. You made a ton of money. Um, but the drawback of a system like that when you have zero paid sick leave coincides with, uh, you know, say one of your real, your union member, uh, colleagues calls out of work cause he has a sick kid. He's got COVID something's going on, right? Normal shit that's been happening for the past two years. What happens is that guy has to either take unpaid time or use vacation time for that. Right? So now here's why this is a problem because how it functions within their union contracts, it's basically that if you run out of time, you get points and you can lose your job. Um, now I know a lot of people are probably thinking like anti-union folks like, Oh, what does that fucking matter? The reason it matters is because when someone else calls out, that means the guy who was supposed to have his seven day, 10 day off or on after working 20 days has to now go work another 10 days. He's on call to cover that, or he gets points put on him. If he isn't available, these guys are treated like they're, it's like they're fucking ER nurses or something. And they're, uh, or doctors and they're like on call and have a beeper. And it's like, Oh, sorry, babe. <laughs> I know I was supposed to be home for like, you know, to see my family for a couple days this month, but I got to go to San Francisco. I'll be back in 14 days. Rick has cancer. You know what I'm saying? So again, you're going to fucking hear it. You're going to hear dickheads on Fox. You're probably even going to hear some liberals trying to run cover for, for Biden to try to massage this and make it seem like this is spoiled union guys who make a ton of money crying about, oh, they don't have sick time. And I guarantee you 50% of America's reaction is going to be, look how much money these guys are making. But at the end of the day, that money doesn't mean anything if you're never able to be home to spend time with your family. If you're never able to be home, like a lot of these guys have said in those media hits, to schedule a fucking doctor appointment for yourself because you have no regularity to your life. Okay. These guys didn't sign up to be fucking astronauts. All right. They're moving freight trains back and forth around this country so that our interstate commerce can function, so that our businesses can function. They're bringing raw materials back and forth, right? They're very much like truckers in that regard, that they're the lifeblood of what makes business and everyday life move for everybody in this country, right? So you think that in a, you know, a, a, a wise, rich, powerful country like America, they would be smart enough to actually keep these guys in a good deal. But no, that's not what happened because the balance of power in this country between employers and employees is vastly fucked up, even for these guys who were union members. Because look at look at uh, they've been trying to they've been trying to push a new deal for sick time and renegotiate with the railway companies for years now. This is just culminating right now. This didn't just cook up this year. This has been dragging on for more than two years. And this is what it's all coming down to. So here, we're going to hop back into the article now that I just, uh, you know, I wanted to get a little bit of that off, give you some background. Um, and now, you know, we'll, we'll dig deeper and start to get into like the monumentality of all of this and where it can go. Um, so yeah, so continuing. Uh, the action of the Senate passing came a day after the House overwhelmingly approved the measure, which would force the companies and their workers to abide by the tentative agreement that was reached in September. That tentative agreement is the one that Biden brokered using his executive power. Um, 
Now, that deal includes a 24% uh, increase in wages over five years, more schedule flexibility, and one additional paid day off. That's what the guy who said, I'm going to be the greatest labor president, I'm, I'm going to be FDR 2.0, he went in and brokered a deal with some of the wealthiest companies in our country, all right? Many of these are multi-billion dollar companies, um, and extracted one paid sick day for these guys. These, these guys who, again, are an extremely important part of our economy of everyday life for Americans, and that's what he got, okay? Sound FDR to you? Doesn't sound like it to me. Um, continuing, several rail unions had rejected it because it lacked paid sick leave. Senate Democrats, under pressure from progressives to insist on the additional compensated time off for workers, tried and failed to push through a House-passed measure to add seven days of paid medical leave to the agreement. Now, um, I actually didn't even know that that uh, was a priority. I didn't see any Democrats really messaging on that. I think we're in a weird spot right now in our media cycle because of the Kanye shit. And don't worry, folks, this next episode, oh, I have some Kanye shit. Um but we're going we're to stay off of that right now. But no, the House passing uh, a measure to add seven days of paid sick leave uh, to the to the agreement, you know, that 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 at least, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of people on the left, you know, on social media, uh, big, pretty big figureheads, leftists uh, complaining about, what, you know, the, the way the squad and Bernie dealt with this because, um, you know, the union was asking for more than that. Uh, a lot of the unions were asking for 14 days. Some of them were even asking for 20 um, and you know, so seven seems like a half quarter loaf type of deal, but it's like, you know what, at least like if this, cause, cause here's the deal, right? If you could get seven days of paid sick leave forced through in the house and then basically put the Senate, uh, um, under pressure to accept that, which is what happened here. It, it at least opens the door to, you know, other things happening, which again, we'll get to that because more did happen in Congress. There many things happened before this final passage just happened hours ago. Um, so yeah, so that house agreement adding seven days of paid sick leave to the agreement was defeated 52 to 43, failing to secure the necessary 60 votes needed to pass and prompting multiple liberal senators to oppose the agreement altogether. So basically what that is folks, like just, you know, my little schoolhouse rock for you is, um, the house passed the emergency, um, back to work order essentially to, for the union to accept the deal, um, and send it up to the house. But they also passed an amendment. Uh, they tried to tie to it an amendment to have seven days of paid sick leave added to the agreement. Now, when that passes up to the Senate, the Senate gets to vote individually on both. Okay, so it's not tied necessarily because there's no funding, right? Like the government isn't spending money here. So this is something that uh, when it gets passed through individually there and you pass an amendment for something that just passed, it's actually not an amendment. It's a separate bill. So it's not something that needs to be voted on, uh, uh, you know, simultaneously, or I shouldn't, I should say as a combined thing, they're two separate things. So it went up to the Senate, the seven days paid sick leave got defeated 52 to 43, which is essentially, you know, a, a long Democrat line basically, uh, with, uh, two, um, I'm sorry, look, what would that be? That would be one Republican coming over. Cause I think it's 51 right now, the current Senate construction for Democrats. So so basically, yeah, they didn't get the 60 votes needed to pass. Uh, and it seems like <clears throat> there were many senators that were, that were not pleased. Excuse me. <clears throat> Republicans failed to win adoption of their proposal to extend the December 9th negotiation deadline by 60 days to provide a cooling off period and avoid congressional intervention in the dispute. That proposal fell on a vote of 70 to 25. Okay. So. I mean, honestly, you know, that that wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world here. Uh, this is every now and then you see on these types of labor issues. Now, this is this is kind of hard. This is like read between the lines kind of shit. When you see this kind of voting happening on super important things, right? Like a funding the government, be anything that could be attached to a, a very short near term. Like you can see it right around the corner. Economic catastrophe like this would have been if the railways went on strike in America. You're always going to see some interesting stuff develop. You're going to see some Republicans come across the line to vote in favor of big business while the Democrats sit there and, you know, uh, you know, they they bite their knuckles and Ooh, I really don't want to do this. But uh, ah, it looks like, you know, <laughs> for the good of the country, I got to side with big business here. Um, you know, so what you're going to see here in some of these voter breakdowns that are coming up is you're going to see a lot of there's a handful of Republicans. I'm not going to lie. There's a handful of Republicans in the Senate that are like, you know, 
they're not pro-union, but they're against the government having any role in any shit like this, okay? Which is, in this scenario, is the best case scenario. Because if there's an, in, there's an instance where uh, unions and private uh, employers are beefing to this level, the healthiest thing, in my opinion, uh, and I would say for anyone who's not a millionaire, should be their opinion, the healthiest thing to happen is to let it play its course. The healthiest thing to happen is to allow... Um, you know, the pressures of these two opposing parties to go, you know, uh, uninterrupted, uh, you know, let public, uh, public, uh, public scrutiny have its weight, obviously, that it always has in any issue that ends up, you know, having potential economic uh, downfall for the country. But <clears throat> having the government insert itself in any way, and honestly, I would prefer that, you know, they didn't do the seven day uh, paid paid leave amendment either because that's a quarter loaf. If these boys want to go on strike to try and get what they're actually, uh, you know, the, the years long contract that they've been trying to get signed and, you know, the best that the fucking rail, railway companies were to, had to offer was one day of paid sick leave. You know, that's insulting, man. Um, so I, I just... For me, this is this is a no brainer, and I so I wouldn't have minded to see that Republican measure uh, pass, where they wanted to have a sixty day cooling off period, because what it would have done is it would have allowed commerce to rock through its most important month here, December, the most important month for commerce in America. We're already facing insane inflation, and the effect this would have had would have been astronomical, which is really why this wasn't that surprising that they did this. Um, this was kind of like what I was. I, for me, this was only going to go one of two ways. Either there was going to be an overall strike where the unions, not enough of them supported the, uh, the original agreement and they just went on strike, um, ahead of time. Um, or B that, you know, they were going to do some shit like this, the, uh, by Biden's administration. Th those are the only two ways. There wasn't going to be any way where, um, you know, this got extended or anything. That shit wasn't going to happen with this because, this is something that's too threatening for the establishment. And when I say that, I don't just mean like the political establishment, the people who like, you know, have all the money in our control, but just anyone, any moneyed interest establishment, whether it be through commerce, political establishment, whatever, um, they're not letting this shit happen before Christmas. Like this would be slitting their own throats because uh, they're the ones who ultimately lose money. You know what I'm saying? Um, but anyway, let's continue. Um, ultimately, a broad bipartisan group set aside reservations about inserting converse, Congress into the labor dispute and backed the agreement that the Biden administration initially negotiated in September. The vote was 80 to 15 with Senator Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, voting present. Mr. Biden had championed the negotiations that led to the tentative agreement, which his administration helped strike under the Railway Labor Act, a 1926 law that allows the president to intervene in rail labor disputes that threaten to cut off essential commerce or transportation service. Um, so, yeah, like I referenced before in the beginning of the episode, the reason that, um, you know, you had the Railway Labor Act passed in 1926, Congress giving the president power to act as an arbiter in a way, is because what you're doing is uh, they're, they were trying to leave behind, you know, uh, folks, railway strikes were super common in the 19th century, in the late 19th century, all over the world, because it was the easiest way for, you know, socialists, union people, communists, which was a big thing at the time, you know what I mean? Communism was gigantic worldwide, and uh, the railways were a super pertinent union to have that um, you know, that kind of politics and your labor power, because you could literally hold a country hostage by not, you know, being like, Hey, you don't want to give me workers rights. Okay. We're not going to work. And that was the only, that was the main mean of transportation back then. People weren't flying freight on planes. Then, uh, sea travel was slow as fuck back then. Like railways were so much more important for interstate, for domestic commerce, for countries. Right. So America passed this law that basically was like, Hey, you know what? Let's give the president um, some legal, uh, you know, um, cloth here. Let's give him a little bit of legal rope that he can extend himself out on in the future to avert catastrophe. Because really, it would be so serious. Like the 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 level of commerce loss, like the potential for loss of commerce, was so incredible that like you know governments, including the American government, multiple times would just send the military in. Like they go crack skulls and literally go bust up fucking uh, you know strike lines where people were trying to like, you know, not let scabs into work. The government would hire more people to go in and work uh, or, or aid private entities and like hiring people to cross picket lines. All this shit used to get wild back in the day. Uh, literally, people being killed, beat to death, shot by the military, all kinds of shit. Go read about it. Um, not in this article. I don't have time for it. But, um, 
Yeah, no, serious shit, man. So continuing, um, but while the resulting deal provided high, high, higher pay and more schedule flexibility, multiple unions voted against its ratification in recent weeks because it failed to include paid sick leave and would force workers to take unpaid time off to attend medical appointments. Many employees argued it did not go far enough to address the toll of their difficult and unpredictable schedules. And again, New York Times classically leaving off the most important shit. I gave you guys a bunch of the context, actually letting you know, like they're just saying like, oh, they're difficult and unpredictable schedules. Like to any American who works a shitty job, they know like, oh, well, my, my schedule is difficult and unpredictable. No, these guys, they're, they're, they're the, the unpredictability of their schedules was to another level. It was almost as if they were like a uh, fucking active military, or I shouldn't say active military, but like Coast Guard or some shit, uh, or reserves and could just like get called off and be gone for a month. You know what I mean? Um, and that's not, you know, here, I'll, I'll bring this point home before I continue. Um, and yes, it's like, yeah, that was in the agreement, right? That's what they signed. I understand that. I understand that. But the thing is for the government to insert itself here and be like, you have to take this shit deal because, uh, our country has done such a poor job at setting any type of precedent for people to, you know, actually have some free time instead of just. I don't want to say working like a slave because these guys are getting paid pretty well, right? But having a constant attendance to your job and completely leaving behind any other responsibility you have in your life, right? Like that's not in the language of the contract, right? And a lot of this could 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 have been foregone years ago. The main issue here that you won't read in this article and that no one will fucking tell you on TV is – the reason this ex got so exacerbated is because railway companies have been laying people off uh, steadily from their union memberships across the last couple decades, just like every other industry where you have so many uh, companies that work in manufacturing, transportation like this, where they run bare bones because it costs so much money for a company to pay health insurance premiums for every worker. What they do is they would rather go to the system I explained before, where a guy works like fucking 80 hours in a... Uh, I'm sorry, like 160 hours in like two weeks or something, then is off for five days or seven days and comes back and does it again. Because it's cheaper to just work the shit out of a handful of guys, you know, 60 guys, than to hire a hundred that would, you would actually need to have a normal work schedule for this shit. That's the problem. People call off and then folks have no choice but to just be gone for a month. Okay? If Congress can't step in and see that right now. I don't, I'm, I am not in favor of Congress stepping in and being like, okay, no, uh, private, private entities. This is exactly how you need to run your business. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't believe in that. I don't think that's healthy. Um, you know, that's not where I'm coming from with it, but what I'm saying is for them to come in and do the complete opposite and be like, Oh, oh no, you have to accept a steal. Fuck you go to work. I also, you know, that that's crazy to me, man. I, I don't understand how people in good conscience can actually see what these folks are dealing with. Because here's the fucked up part, right? This is very similar to like nurses in the pandemic, like, or any medical worker to, during the pandemic where they were just like, holy fuck, we, you know, they all felt like the, their government completely uh, uh, forsaken them, had forsaken them. You know what I mean? They're basically dealing with uh, warlike triage levels of patient influx. And what did the government do? It took them forever to get off their ass and do anything about it. And really, it was just like this problem where it, the impact of the of the scenario wouldn't have been as bad if every hospital wasn't trying to trying to run lean as fuck. You know what I mean? Hospitals, railways, not industries that should run lean because what happens is people get burnt out or a fucking pandemic happens and you don't have enough hospital beds because you fucking eliminated 40% of them to raise your profit 20%. And that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a country in America that has hollowed itself out to such a point where it's just a, a fucking, a shade of itself. It's a shade of itself. The level of productivity that America used to pump out like World War II uh, through like 1962 was incredible compared to our capacity right now. Our capacity right now, what you see like our, you know, our GDP, um, our industrial capacity when you compare it against other nations, comparable nations, um, a lot of that is smoke and mirrors because the thing is, at the end of the day, like we might have an insane capacity, but it's on the backs of fewer and fewer people every year, a decade by decade. It's um, the level of strain, the, the level of um, uh, tolerance that this system has is it's a fucking mouse could fart and knock this shit, this house of cards over. And that's what the pandemic was. And people who are able to view 
you know, the way economies, hard economies actually function and saw the way that America reacted um, and just completely buckled and dealt with all kinds of shortages that many other comparable countries didn't deal with. Um, you know, it, it showed, it showed our weakness in that regard. And this is just another example of that weakness coming home to roost here. Uh, except the difference is, you know, uh, they, they can pass a, they can pass a law to force, uh, maybe force workers to go, uh, to go back to work that are about to go on strike and you couldn't pass a law to get rid of the pandemic. It was something that no one could do anything about, but again, it showed the weakness. Um, and it's still here, folks. This is just a different face of it. Um, so here we go. Continuing on. With a railway strike possible in the coming days, Mr. Biden turned to Congress to intervene. He stressed his reluctance to override the will of union workers seeking basic workplace rights, but said it was necessary to address the threat of economic calamity by a disruption to the nation's rail system and an inability to swiftly transport goods and services across the country. At a news conference at the White House on Thursday, Mr. Biden bristled at the question about why he had not insisted on more paid leave for rail workers in the deal, saying that he had, quote, negotiated a contract no one else can negotiate. Okay, like, folks, that's literally a Donald Trump quote. No, no one, nobody can do better than me. No, I make all the deals. No one, believe me. He's literally, like, taking a leaf out of Trump's book here. Like, I negotiated a, a, a contract no one else can negotiate. That's, what the fuck are you talking about? You didn't negotiate anything. He literally took the deal that the fucking private rail companies had on the table initially and were just like, hey, pay them like an extra like 15% or something. Give them some money. When that was clearly, it, it was, you read any news coverage of what union workers wanted, what they were asking for was sick leave. It was sick leave. It was the number one priority. They were asked, they were polled by their own unions. They took fucking polls internally and it was sick days. That was the main problem that everybody had. So for him to be like, oh, I negotiated a deal no one else can negotiate. You didn't do anything. You fucking rubber stamped what the union, what the, uh, what the bosses wanted. That's all you did here. So don't, again, you're going to see an insane level of propaganda come out of this because the mainstream media isn't good. Like what, what use would they even have to be critical of this right now? Right? Like it just passed with flying colors through the Senate. You just had uh fucking, uh, like 30 something Republicans come across the aisle to vote yes for this shit with Democrats. Or I'm sorry, my math's wrong on that. But at least uh, it should be close to 20 Republicans. Um, and we'll go through the voting list here of who didn't vote for it. But um, but yeah, just incredible. Just again, brace yourself for this because this is going to be like, it's going to be like on the level of which, um, not maybe not the longevity, but it's going to be like when like Biden pulled out of Afghanistan, except it's going to be the other way around. You know what I mean? Like the way that the whole entire media, like as one was like, mm, well, couldn't we have done this better? Like, did we, did we really do the best we could here? You know, they're going to do the same fucking thing here, except, hey, you know, he really did the best he could here. Nobody could get a better deal. He, he negotiated the contract. Nobody else could do this. Who else could do this but him? You know what I'm saying? Uh, you might get some critical coverage on Fox because Tucker Carlson's in a position politically where he can just be contrarian about almost anything that happens out of Congress and be fine. But you're not going to get too much out of it. Um, you'll see. So continuing on Capitol Hill, Democrats also said they would have preferred to avoid stepping into the middle of a railroad labor dispute, something Congress has done 18 times in the past century. They groused about being called upon to embrace a deal that went against what workers were demanding. Pressing to overcome those concerns, Mr. Biden dispatched Martin J. Walsh, the labor secretary, and Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary. They sent Pete. They sent Pete in, folks. Oh, man. They sent him into the Capitol on Thursday to meet with Democratic senators during a private lunch ahead of the votes. Yo, listen. Imagine you're fucking... <laughs> Imagine you're like Ed Markey, you're like Bernie Sanders, like, you know, you're a pretty, like, you're a pretty left guy, right? You, you, you know, you'll see the list of folks who voted no on this shit in the Senate. But Pete Buttigieg comes walking down into your office, right? Like, <laughs> hey, 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 how you doing, Bernie? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me talk to you while you, come on, you gotta vote for this. Actually, you know what, that's actually fake news, folks, that never happened. There's no shot Buttigieg attempted to even talk to anyone on the left. He probably, he probably sent Buttigieg and Walsh in, um... Uh, you know, it says, oh, to meet with Democratic senators, more than likely what they were doing was they were going and, you know, assuring Republicans who, uh, you know, were going to come across the, Mitch McConnell was going to release to come across the aisle to vote in favor for this. Um, and, you know, we'll, again, we'll, we'll get to that, but that's probably what happened here. 
Um, so, quote, uh, continues, quote, the consequences of inaction would be severe, said Senator Chuck Schumer, Democrat of New York and majority leader on the Senate floor Thursday morning. He ticked through a list of what he described as, quote, the serious problems that would occur if there's a rail shutdown. Republicans, too, griped about the position they'd been placed in, questioning why Mr. Biden had not allowed for a few more days to resolve the dispute before involving Congress. The final vote reflected the unusual coalition brought together in opposition to imposing the agreement. Multiple liberal senators, excuse me, including Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, joined some of the most conservative Republicans, such as Josh Hawley of Missouri, in voting no. Quote, if D.C. Republicans want to be a working class party, they might want to do something for workers, Mr. Hawley wrote on Twitter. He was among the conservative senators who backed the paid leave measure but opposed impo uh, opposed imposing the agreement without it. So right here, this is one of the biggest fucking issues I have with this, right? So what happens here with Biden doing this and basically dragging the party with him? Now, don't get it twisted. Like, Biden's not some superpower, like, juggernaut that forced the hand. He, it's not like he, like, went and whipped votes in the Senate, okay? Uh, you know, 95% of the Democratic Party is down to do whatever... Uh, you know, their party lead, their heads tell them and Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, or, you know, fucking Hakeem Jeffries, who's coming in uh, to be house minority leader. Like <laughs> they're voting big business all day, baby. They're not, uh, you know, that, that that's what they're, that's what they're telling their members to do. And this isn't even something you really had to whip on like that, because at the end of the day, the media had already done an effective job of basically declaring victory when Biden uh, initially negotiated the tentative agreement the first time. They did a big parade like, oh, yay, oh, we averted disaster. So what they did was they were setting it up basically for everyone in the public to perceive like, oh, what, like when this came to a head, like it did just now in December, for everyone in the public to be like, oh, I thought this was settled. Like, oh, why are these union guys like not following through on the deal they made? There was never a deal. It was a tentative agreement that... Joe Biden and his administration sat down with a handful of the heads of the unions and the um, people who ran the private rail companies. So when you sit down with the heads of unions and they're like, okay, here's something that we might be able to take back to our guys. It's not, it's not a deal. That's not a deal. It needs to get voted on. That's almost like, that's like us all. That would be like, if we were like looking at polling, like leading up to an election and we we're like, Oh, oh what, um, uh, you know, for example, oh, uh, Donald Trump's got this in the bag. Like, no, people have to vote. It's like they like declared victory ahead of time based off of like one good poll. And that's basically what happened. You had enough union heads, not every union head. Some of the union, most, the majority of the union heads were like, yeah, all right, we can take this back and see what we can do. It, it was not, it, it was not voted. It did not clear voting. So right now what you're seeing is that effect, right? You're seeing the manufactured consent of what our media does, the way that that was covered. They covered it as a W. They covered it as a victory. It was not. It was not a done deal. It was always going to culminate in something like this if there was no agreement met and private rail companies did not budge. They did not give sick leave, okay? So this is where we're always going to be. But I just digress wildly. So the biggest problem here, that last quote from Senator Josh Hawley, anyone who knows him, huge scumbag. Uh, you know, one of the worst Republicans in the Senate. Um, so what this does with Democrats, basically, while they're being empowered, while they're in power, right, and being forced to impose the hand of the state on labor, what it does is it it allows assholes like this guy to act like he's some working class hero, like he's some fucking union stand. He's not. He's never voted for anything in favor of unions. He didn't vote for the PRO Act. He didn't vote for any of that shit, but this gives him the perfect opportunity to have a soundbite and now drag Repu uh, Democrats ass all across TV, all across Fox. He's probably, you know, him or some other asshole, uh, someone else in the Senate, um, uh, some other Republican in the Senate, you're going to be going on MSNBC, you know, doing the chicken dance, basically being like, what do you mean? We're the working class party. I voted no against this. Why did almost every Democrat, why did the majority of Democrats vote for this? That's all their talking points are going to be now from now. And I know that there's not an election coming up, but again, like... This is all the the, the, uh, the people's perception on these things that aren't neck deep in politics matters. To to just have these little layup, just you're you're basically you're throwing the ball up to get dunked on in this in this regard, and then you free up assholes like this guy to be able to have to have these hot takes and have these quotes that he has never proved with a vote except for this one, which was a cynical vote because he knew it was going to pass. And this is what I mentioned before where you have, you know, Mitch McConnell, uh, essentially, I called it releasing his, some of his senators to vote no on this. 
Uh, some of the senators who have juice, like Josh Hawley, for example, he can do whatever he wants. He doesn't need uh, Schumer, or I'm sorry, not Schumer. Um, uh, he doesn't need to be released by anybody in the GOP, whoever holds the power of the purse, you know, pays money into his super PAC or whatever. He doesn't need any of them. He doesn't need McConnell to be like, yeah, go ahead, vote no on this. He has enough juice. He can do it because he knows how this vote was going to go. But guaranteed, we'll go through the list later. There's a handful of Republicans that would have ideologically voted yes on this. Okay. But what it does is it gives them flexibility for, you know, if they have an upcoming race, uh, you know, say they're up in 2024 presidential year, they have something to refer to. They have a soundbite, something they can put in a commercial. They have something that they can say against their opponent, maybe, uh, you know, other, other uh, Republicans who might go and run against a Democrat in the Senate that just voted yes on this bullshit. It gives them a perch to start sniping at people from politically when it comes to electoralism. Okay. This shit matters. Um, so to continue, to quell concerns in both parties and speed the measure through the Senate, leaders agreed to first consider the GOP proposal for a cooling off period, and then the House passed proposal to add the paid seven days of paid leave. Quote, less than 36 hours ago, we were asked to decide on issues that are complicated, that are important, without necessary deliberations, end quote, said Senator Dan Sullivan, Republican of Alaska, who, respons who sponsored the deadline extension. He said his measure would, quote, give negotiators more time to get to an agreement and it will not make Congress the it will not uh, make Congress the entity of last resort in these kinds of negoci negotiations. Um, other senators, including some Republicans, said the threat of damage to the nation's economy at a moment when inflation remains high drove their votes to implement the tentative agreement. Quote, while this position is undesirable, Congress must act, uh, end quote. Senator Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming and Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, both Republicans, wrote in their joint letter to colleagues, uh, continuing, quote, implementing an agreement that roughly half of the unionized workers support along with all their leadership is the most responsible path forward. Holy shit. See, there you go. There's your hot quote. Those are just the, the dog shit Republicans that are like, yeah, I mean, fuck unions. They're, oh, oh. This position's undesirable, but Congress must act. We have to put in an agreement that, quote, roughly half of the unionized workers support. So it's like, folks, that's not how this shit works, <laughs> okay? That's not, they're, ma they're making it seem like, well, this would have passed anyway. No, it wouldn't have. No, it wouldn't have. Roughly half, 75% of the unionized workers supporting this wouldn't have been enough to pass. They're being cynical here because they know most Americans don't understand how this complex, like, union uh, structure of the railway works, okay? There's over 100 of these unions. Uh, technically, if a few of them don't accept the deal, that could trigger a domino effect where you're going to have other unions that have real guys in them that are like, I'm not, uh, not going to go be a conductor and then go across a certain part of track where the, line, where the linesmen... Uh, you know, or the signalers union or whoever are on strike. Okay. That effect is real. So like them trying to be like, well, you know, oh, we had a plurality. Like there was like 60% of union members wanted this. That's irrelevant because that's not the way it actually works and shakes out. Uh, if there was legitimate wildcat striking happening indivi by individual unions, even had some of the other uh, unions agreed to the agreement. Okay. So that's bullshit. Um, Okay, so the article continues, but Ms. Loomis and Mr. Kramer, like the majority of Republicans, argued against adding the paid leave proposal and said Congress should abide by the terms of the tentative agreement. Quote, it is in the best interest of all parties that the railroads, not Congress, work through issues such as paid leave directly with their employees, the two senators wrote. And I, I mostly agree with that. You know what I mean? Like, sure, I also agree with like, it would have been great if the House got that, uh, if the House part got passed through for the seven days of paid leave, but for the most part, no, I want them to work through these issues, the companies directly with the railroads. And they were doing that. They were doing that. They were threatening to go on strike. You interrupted that Congress. So by definition, these two senators, these two Republican uh, senators, uh, who do we got here? Uh, Cynthia Loomis and Kevin Kramer, you're just bullshitting. Because the fact that you're even there voting on this today, the fact that you're even giving a quote to the New York Times means you're not letting them uh employers and uh, engage directly with their employees for issues of paid leave by definition your involvement means that's not happening so again 
This, this is the kind of language you're going to hear, right? You're going to hear all this mollifying shit where they're talking about like, oh, well, I didn't do this, but I, I voted for the, I voted for those motherfuckers to go back to work. But I didn't, uh, I didn't vote for any of these uh, things that would have been good for them because I think they need to, you know, they need to honestly engage with their, their employer and extract that from them. That's not, that's not Congress's job. That's not Congress's job to say how much a company should pay someone, even like there's not a minimum wage. That's not how much uh, for Congress's job to say, uh, how much paid time off someone should get, even though there's FMLA, even though the uh, uh, after the coronavirus and even before that, many states like uh, New York State had paid family leave. They're going to act and pretend like all that shit doesn't exist so that for this moment, for right here, they can save some face. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, they got unions in their states too that are going to bring this shit up and be like, I'm not fucking voting for you because you passed this. So again, this is really important for the future of where the union voter demographic lies in this ne- upcoming election. This is going to be fucking huge, okay? Add this on to the fact that Joe Biden still has not passed the PRO Act. He still hasn't passed it. That was supposed to be the number one plank of his campaign. That was one of the, uh, it was like top two. I can't remember if it was the number one thing, but it was uh, as far as actual legislation that he ran on, that he wanted to have passed, it did not happen. Okay, the PRO Act would be the most significant piece of workers' rights legislation in America in, I don't know, 70 years almost. And it hasn't happened. And this is his first major move for labor right here. This is it in the negative column. All right, so let's continue. Liberals, some of whom were frustrated at the push to impose the tentative agreement on workers, argued that the paid leave proposal was a necessary addition championed by union workers. Only one Democrat guess who folks, Senator Joe Manchin III of West Virginia voted against the measure on the floor. He said, quote, while I'm sympathetic to the concerns union members have raised, I do not believe it is the role of Congress to renegotiate a collective bargaining agreement that has already been negotiated, he said in a statement explaining his vote. It already been negotiated. It was negotiated, but it was never accepted, okay? And again, while he's right, I don't believe it's Congress's role to renegotiate a collective bargaining agreement either. I don't. But that's what you just did, Joe. That is what you just did. You forced an acceptance of a renegotiation. Because the initial negotiation did not get accepted. So what you're doing is you're saying, hey, we're going to renegotiate. I'm going to put a gun to your head. Go back to work. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing, Congress. You're not allowing the process to play out. You're not allowing the unions to pressure the railway companies up to the very brink of the strike happening and then the capitulation coming from the company. Because I'll tell you what, had that fucking happened, these railway companies would not want to deal with the public pressure campaign that they would feel, the heat they would take once the media actually started covering this shit on the verge of the night of a strike, running stories about why Christmas presents wouldn't be on shelves or gasoline was back at $5 a gallon. Because these assholes didn't want to give more than one day of paid sick leave per year. That's what the story would have been. So this is Congress completely saving the ass of an industry that absolutely refused to buckle for years on a basic thing that most, uh, I would say, I would argue every American that makes their level of income enjoys. Now, I think everyone should have paid sick leave, but all I'm saying is for these guys making this kind of money, this kind of sacrifice that they're giving to the companies that they work for, they don't even get sick time, okay? Let that shit sink in. That is outrageous. And Congress is going to sit here and act like they're not hammering the nail right now. They're the arm, they're everything. The companies had nothing had this not happened. There's no fucking shot that they would have allowed a real shutdown to happen. They would have capitulated to some degree. I absolutely believe that deep down because there's no fucking way in this kind of inflation they're going to have any association with increasing that or fucking up the holiday season. There's no shot. There's no fucking way. And, And if you look at the way that public polling has come out of any labor action in the last two years with how high public unrest has been with George Floyd, the pandemic, all this shit. 
the American public, uh, month by month by month, as polling has gone on in the last two years, has become increasingly more supportive of labor action of in this regard, like strikes. Okay, so they read the tea leaves. These people have uh, folks they pay millions of dollars to to do this kinds of political analysis, okay? They're not just hapless employers who are like, oh, we're not making enough money. These people had the most profitable years ever last year and the year before. They weren't any different. The episodes that we've done before, we were talking about shipping and container companies. It's the same for the railroads. Go check the numbers. Unbelievable levels of profit. And they cannot, they can't even find it. In the, they have to do what, they have to spit even further in the eyes of these people who bust their ass to make shit happen in this country every day to not give them a fucking sick day. To not, or I'm sorry, to not, to not give them a handful of sick days. So, you know, it's just, it, it's where we're at, folks. Okay. Um, so again, a wild stain on Joe Biden's presidency. Okay. And you've heard me give him some props in the past. Uh, I've tried. I, you know, I've, I've tried to give him a little bit of credit here or there. Um, but it's just, this is on another level, folks. This is monumental. This is him completely altering the course of what he claimed his presence was presidency was going to be. And, you know, I, I, of course I didn't, I wasn't buying into that. You know what I'm saying? Um, I wasn't expecting that. But what I'm saying is, um, you know, the level of impact that this may have going forward uh, electorally, uh, the wild amount of damage and precedent setting that it's probably going to cause. Because, you know, I, I, like, what do I think is going to happen here? I think you're going to get a handful of wildcat strikes. I for sure do. Because there's a bunch of unions, uh, the smaller unions that were loudly immediately when the initial uh, negotiation was happening, uh, the first tentative deal before Biden was involved, where they shot it down immediately, okay? A lot of these folks were ready to go on strike. They'd had enough. Uh, they were feeling the pressure from inflation, and they figured it correctly, they correctly assessed when economic pressure is at its highest, that is when you have the most leverage uh, to do this type of labor action, to go on strike, or at least to threaten it and bring it to the, you know, run it right to the wire and force play chicken with the company. They, you know, they had their smart guys too. I'm sure there was a lot of people making that same assessment. And I think they would have won that game of chicken. And Congress just stepped right the fuck in and made sure, nope, nope, you don't, you don't even get a chance to play. So that's where we're at, folks. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, again, I predict, I think there's going to be some wildcat striking going on. Um, I don't, I don't know how it's going to shake out completely though. We'll see. All right. Um, so thanks for tuning in folks. Um, I'm going to have another episode coming down the pike either tomorrow or the day after that. All right. I got one all cooked up and ready to go. Just waiting for it to hatch. All right. All right. Thanks for listening.